Welcome to another edition of Open Mic Podcast, home edition, and today we are live with Kevin Dietz. Good afternoon, Kevin. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm great. How are you and the family? Everybody staying safe? Yeah, everybody's doing good. We're, we're, we're hanging in there. Great. Well, our first guest today, we're going to go live for two hours today, but our first guest has got a lot of information for us. His name is Mark Campbell. He is the CEO of MedConnect, which is a medical testing company. And I have lots of questions about all of this testing that's going on. And I want to ask him a lot of questions about that. But people out there may know Mark's name because he's played at the University of Michigan. He was a former NFL player for Cleveland Buffalo in New Orleans. Um, and he had COVID-19, and he's going to talk to us about how bad that was. He's talked to Trump recently in person. He's talked to our Governor Whitmer uh, about things that are happening. And so let's bring him on to answer some of our questions, Kevin. Hey, Hi, Mark. Hi, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Well, it's our pleasure. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I mean that this is really a handsome threesome, right? <laughs> you you look pretty good for a guy who had COVID nineteen. Well, you know, and I, not that I want to make light of it, but look, you're coronavirus away from your goal weight, right? You sh you <laughs> shed twenty five pounds, although you feel a little different, right? So tell tell us when did you get it? How how were the symptoms? How did you know you had it? Go with yeah, so basically the middle of March, you know, right around March 15th, um, started just kind of run hot. Like I literally felt like my temperature was a little hot, blew it off and basically said, well, we'll see how it's going tomorrow. And remember, so we're now dating back, you know, you know, five weeks ago. Right. So there it wasn't like in your face quite as much as it is now. Certainly it was a topic of conversation, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, my next door neighbor got it. Right. Yeah. So we went up north as kind of like our last ski weekend of the season. So, you know, me and my wife, we have three kids, you know, good family time. We went up there, came back, fell a little hot from that, kind of blew it off the following day, which was a Tuesday. Um, I was feeling even hotter than the day before. I took my temperature as like 102.6, you know. So, And that's when, you know, they had opened up these drive-through for the screenings at all the hospitals, right? And I drove up there, and, and to be totally honest with you, total waste of time, right? They basically said, we're not going to test you. I'm like, that's what I'm here for. You know, they're not going to test you. Assume that you probably have it. Go home and quarantine for 14 days. And that's where the whole kind of journey began, man. And, and I, you know, some people with the different strands of this right now, and by the way, this is morphing. It's uh, doing what we call jumping wells, meaning it's kind of adapting to its environment. So the coronavirus is actually changing a little bit. Hopefully it won't change for the worst. Um, but I ended up having kind of the worst version of it, right? And like, literally, if we went through all the symptoms of it, you know, do you have this, do you have this, do you have this? It's always, yes, yes, yes. But I did not have a runny nose, so I'm kind of holding that close to my heart. <laughs> okay, so hold on, Mark, let's back up a second. Did you say you did not get tested? Nope. So, so I, you know, that's, Part of this discussion, I've talked to lots of people who've had it, but didn't get tested. So right. all of these numbers that we're studying are off by, according to the Los Angeles, I think it was the Los Angeles Times last week, 50 to 80, 80 times more cases than what the numbers are. So we're all yeah. watching these numbers, but they're completely wrong. Is that true? 
Absolutely. It's so askew that, that it's not even close, to be honest with you. That's very, very misleading, right? So I did, to clarify though, Mike, I ended up getting tested, but unfortunately it was when I was admitted to the hospital 12 days later from that day, right? So, you know, if you think about it, like the little things, right? Like if, okay, if I would have known, if I was tested and I would have known what the result is, I, I totally, I'm an educated guy. I understand they don't want to like swap all the hospital for real around, you know, but I also would have treated everything differently. I would have treated it more seriously. So when my lungs started to feel like pneumonia was building, I would have went to the hospital probably two to three days sooner, right? And caused myself all that unnecessary struggle, pain, whatever you want to call it. But I also would have left the hospital sooner, right? So what's the economic savings of two or three less days in the hospital? It's probably pretty substantial, but that's all because I didn't know. Interesting. So how long did it take to run its course? I mean, it, it sounds like you were in bad shape. Yeah. So I basically had the rough strand of it. It took 17 days in total. So 16 of those days, I had a temp over 101. Uh, that was kind of miserable, to be honest with you, right? But I had basically all the other symptoms. But the one that got me, the one I couldn't kind of have my football mentality and tough it out with was the pneumonia. I mean, basically came to the point, uh, you know, 12 days removed from my first symptom where I was really laboring to breathe. Right. That was the first I would say there was about 24 hours there for the first time in my life. I'd tell you guys, honestly, I was threatened for my life. I mean, I wasn't going to openly tell my wife that because I didn't want her to freak out. But it was the first time where I'm like, oh, this isn't good. I knew it wasn't good. What made you go to the hospital? What was the symptoms? It was about shortness of breath and the hard breathing. Yeah, Mike, like I couldn't get I couldn't get a deep breath. Right. Like I could kind of breathe in and out, but I, no air could satisfy me. Like I couldn't get the oxygen I was looking for. So that we went to Crittenden Hospital here in Rochester. It took about 10 minutes to get there and just kind of, you know, kind of going back to that moment. My wife looking back at me the whole time we're driving there. You know, we left the three kids, told our 14 year old to kind of take care of them. Right. Just that moment. I don't know if I'll ever forget that between just that 10 minute drive of how she was looking at me. Like saying, oh, my God, I don't want this dude to die in the back of my car right now. Right. To, you know, that five to 10 minutes in the ER before I was admitted. Um, and then just taking a moment, like it finally hitting me that I said, oh, my God, I better tell her that I love her and tell her to tell the kids I love them. Because for the first time in my life, I didn't know if I was going to see him again. Right. And I'm not trying to be dramatic. It was very real at that moment. When this thing first started, Mark, you know, they were talking about uh, the people we had to worry about were these uh, people 60, 70, 80 years old. I mean, here you, you, you played college football, you played pro football, you're in good health. I mean, yeah. did it just shock you that this severe case was, was, was something that was now in your life, something you were dealing with? Yeah. I mean, literally to that point, when I had a temperature, I was joking around to my buddies and saying, man, I'm it. I'm the guy. I'm COVID-19 positive. Right. And then I made that joke to my wife, of which she didn't let it go, got concerned and was the one to force me to go to the hospital. Right. But I didn't think in a million years. We're not in a hot zone. Right. I don't I'm not traveling to different countries. You know, I, I wouldn't have thought in a million years I'd be the guy. And certainly, I don't want to be a spokesperson for COVID-19, but I just felt like, look, if it can happen to me, and my story matters, and some people will listen, even if it's just a few, 
then it's worth it. I assume you have no clue how you got it. You, you know, you don't, uh, unless you have a family member or relative who you were with, or you were at a church service and a bunch of people got it, but do you have any clue? No, I mean, the only thing I can think of, Mike, like, you know how you, I think back to that and I keep going to the same moment because I debated, you know, whether or not to grab it or not, but it was a gas pump handle in Oscoda, Michigan, right? So I, I don't know if that's it technically, I don't know, but I kind of feel like I always keep going back to that moment. Interesting. And I was with my family, right? So they didn't do anything. I mean, I was with them the whole time. That's the only thing I did differently. Not a lot of cases up north, though. Uh, they're more worried about people from here bringing bringing it up north. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Who knows, man? I don't know. I, I have no clue. Like my my wife doesn't have it. My kids don't have it. I don't know. It's and, the, and, and you and you sound great. Are you a hundred percent now? Would you say? Yeah, pretty close, right? I mean, I feel fine. I, I mean, I'm back working and doing all that stuff. But I just kind of run out of gas a little bit earlier in the day. And, I can't go well, for any. I'm not running any marathons. Had, had you ever had pneumonia in your life before that? Yeah, I did my senior year of high school, so back to 1994. And I had pneumonia 15 years ago, and it took months to go away. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm glad that you're feeling better quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, sure. You know, it, it, this is, it's. I appreciate that, first of all, Mike. I, I think this is one of those deals that we don't really know how all this affects what the results will be, right? And, and the hard part about it, the part that kind of bothers me, and I'm not blaming anybody, but you can't get direct answers as a patient, right? You ask direct questions, but the physicians, they don't want to tell you a direct answer because they don't want to be held either accountable or they just are saying, look, we don't know the answer, you know? So that's hard, right? I mean, typically when you always go to the doctor, they say, you got this, you got this, this is how we're going to treat it. This was different, you know, for a lot of it, they can't give you definitive answers. So I want to ask you a little bit about testing again, because it seems like there aren't enough tests. We can't get tested because there aren't enough tests, but aren't there tests out there, even if they're not, uh, you know, certain, 100% certain that they're going to be accurate? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of people who make tests, but they're always using tests from, from certain companies is what I'm reading. And it just seems like it would have been helpful even to get an idea if you got a some some test that said, oh, you're likely to be positive or you are positive. Yeah. So that's kind of a twofold question, right? So at a laboratory level regarding testing in general, right? So we we own a molecular testing lab, right? Or PCR testing. It's called IOBP. It's based out of Westchester, Ohio and Nashville, Tennessee. So, <laughs> you know, we're very uh, up to date with what's happening and we're actually running COVID testing as we speak, right? So the problem is, is that, you know, all, most of our states and most of our major insurance payers are basically using uh, the bigger laboratories, which they've made arrangements with, which are LabCorp and Quest Diagnostics. So now you got an East Coast lab and a West Coast lab basically handling all of, in this case, the state of Michigan's sampling. So the average response time, even if, you know, things are, you know, FedEx, everything is procured appropriately, they have all the patient information, there's no way they're going to be able to respond in a quick amount of time. It's just impossible logistically, especially with the volume. I mean, if you look at the COVID tracking numbers, we're doing consistently over 150,000 samples per day. There's no way they can keep up with all that, right? So from our point of view, we're saying, look, 
we can help, we want to help, we want to provide testing. We know that the test, so just so you guys kind of understand, if you were to do, if we were to receive a test sample, it's going to take us roughly six to eight hours to run that through the machine and get and confirm results. So then it comes down to, okay, how quickly can you get those answers back to the physician treating the patient? And that's how it works. So the fact that for me personally, it took me five days, right, to get my results. Ironically, I was discharged the day that they gave me my, my results. I'm like, thanks for nothing, right? I mean, I already knew I had it at that point. Um, but I mean, I've talked to people that have waited 12 days or so. So, you know, Detroit, right, is what, the second or third uh, largest population of COVID-19 patients, you know, New York, New Orleans, Detroit, but yet we're 10th, 11th, and actually having testing supplies. It's just, so, it, it's it's not right. Mark, take me, let's, let's break it down for me and yep. maybe somebody who's watching this. So I know that there's the swab that goes up the nose, mm -hmm. and I know that there's some blood test that can check on antibodies. Mm -hmm. And that's like a 15 minute test. Some of them are 15 minute tests that our first responders in Detroit are getting. Mm -hmm. are, are there other tests besides those two right now? Yeah, so there is one that goes way up your, you know, your nasal cavity. Uh, it's very long. That's the one that most hospitals are using. That's one that our laboratory uses now. That is your most accurate test, right? But also takes a little bit longer. Then Abbott Laboratories came out with a product that just actually swabs like your nose, right? So the one that goes way up your nasal cavity is obviously a little bit uncomfortable. The one that swabs your nose is kind of no big deal. That is like a 15-minute response. Um, then there are there's other kinds. Obviously, the antibody test you're you're referencing too, which I have not have that done. And in fact, I do have an appointment to go get the plasma. Uh, done so we can see hopefully if I can help this cause. There are roughly, guys, I want to say 70 different tests coming out here in the next 30 days. Now, whether they get through the FDA approval, that's going to kind of change the game, right? Of how quickly you can get results, how big of a deal is this going to be? Is everyone going to have to take a test before they come back to work? You know, there's a lot of pieces of this, and how you address that will be dependent on the testing available. No matter. Chris, Mike, Kevin, I mean, no matter what that answer is, you still have to take that sample because we're not sure about the accuracy, right? It just kind of gives you a yes or no kind of answer. Uh, we'll have to take those and send it back to the laboratory for confirmation. So, but this 15-minute test that I, you know, saw the mayor of Detroit talking about that uh, the first responders, the police department uh, are taking to clear them to get back to work. Mm -hmm. Why can't we those be at every CVS and every Walgreens that just everybody can walk in and get a quick 15 minute test to either say we have it or don't have it. We're a carrier I, I, of it, which I have another question about being a carrier because you hear all about the carriers being yeah. asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. Are they going to show up as having it or not? But mm -hmm. my first question, I guess, is why can't these tests be given to everybody right now? Well, look, as bad as it sounds, you can always follow the money, right? So simply from that being put is right now, they're probably working out different deals with larger corporations and probably working out deals with the government to try to see what they can sell it for. And they're probably going to take some time to themselves with people much educated, much more educated than me in making a decision. To your point, though, um, certainly um, 
I don't see it as I could be a possibility that it moves to CBS. They're trying to mass produce these as we speak. So I'm sure that has a part of it. But unfortunately, like anything with business, same thing with, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine. I mean, you can follow the money with a lot of this stuff. And that's your reasoning for it one way or the other. Did you take some of that uh, malaria drug? Yeah. Okay. So quick story, right? So I'm in the hospital and, uh, you know, I feel like hell. There's no other way to say it. Like literally this thing is kicking my ass. I'm losing this battle. You know, I feel like I'm, you know, George Foreman fighting Muhammad Ali near the end of the match, right? Just running out of gas. And um, the doctor came in, my buddy Troy, he was actually my business partner, sent me a text and it was a really long word. I'm like, Jesus, I, I can't. I can't pronounce that, you know, so, but it's the malaria drug. I'm like, perfect. I can work with that. Right. So the doctor came in and I said, Hey, is there any way, am I going to be prescribed this malaria drug? So then she said, well, yes, actually that's what we're going to administer today. It's called Plaquenil. So that is the brand name. So now, you know, I'm looking at the whole thing. I'm like, okay, it's known as the malaria drug. It's known as Plaquenil, right? It's known as hydroxychloroquine. You know, I'm thinking to myself like, what is this thing even called? You know, uh, it, it, and also I had to look at my notes. Also called HCQ, right? So I was trying to figure it out, but yeah, they. Um, so what point, Mark? What point in your treatment did, did they decide to give it to you? Because I was told by an ER friend, ER doc friend, that right before they put you on the ventilator, which don't go on the ventilator if you don't have to, no. they'll try it. That's what he told me. So why did you okay. get it? When did you get it? Were you, yeah. Was it optional? Yeah, so mine was, so when I got to the hospital, my pulse ox was 86. Okay, I don't know what ventilator, what it should be for that. I know that you had to have a 96 of your pulse ox with um, no breathing, no oxygen support in order to leave. So that was kind of my mission. I knew I didn't want to be on a ventilator, that's for sure. My sister is by trade a CRNA, and I remember her just telling me, while this was kind of going on, she was telling me like, look, if something happens to go to the hospital, don't go on a ventilator, you're gonna be on that thing for 30 days sedated. You know, of course, do what you have to do, but fight against it. So I remember I had that kind of in my mind, but you know, I'm sick. Picture like the worst flu you've ever had, you know, picture that feeling and then you're trying to rationalize things in your head. Well, you just don't work quite as well, right? You're not hitting on all cylinders. So, yeah, they ended up uh, moving me into the COVID floor, which was four or five. For 24 hours, they basically didn't do anything other than IV, zinc, and a Z-pack. So after 24 hours, I'm like, this isn't working. I feel the same as I did the day before. That's when I mentioned, you know, the HCQ to the physician. And she said, yeah. So on day two that I was there they gave me the hydroxychloroquine okay. within eight to 12 hours. Okay. I know, you know, it doesn't work for everyone within eight to 12 hours. I already started to feel better within, I would tell you within 24 hours, I felt decently better within 48 hours. I was, I would already made the decision that I want to go home. So I was there, you know, essentially wow. you know, that's it. out of the four days. By the third day, I was like, man, I, I want to get out of here. I want to go home. That's how quickly it worked. So there, there was a controversy out here, you know, whether or not to use this drug or not. But it sounds like there wasn't much of a controversy in the hospital that the doctors were willing to give it to people, to at least give it a try to see if it worked. Hell no, Kevin. I mean, there was no concern in my mind. I'll tell you what, I don't care if you're Republican or you're Democrat, if you're 
yellow, black, yellow, or white, doesn't matter to me. When you're in that position, I would like to look at anybody and ask them the question, if you want to take that right now, if it has a chance to help and see what their answer is. It's a no-brainer, right? When you feel like hell and you feel like, man, this is not good, we'll take anything if we're told we can help. And there was minimal risk that the doctor presented to me. So you get out, and yep. I hear that uh, the president contacted you or somebody from his office and wanted to see you after you had this. Yeah. Tell me that story. All right. So that was a, that was Friday night. I want to say on Thursday I went on CNN and uh, did that show with John King. And then on Friday I was actually – it was like 7 or 8 o'clock at night. I was on a Zoom call with – uh, Lloyd Carr, Brian Greasy, and Rob Sweat, just the four of us, just basically, essentially just looking up Lloyd's nose because this is the first time I ever did a Zoom call. I'm trying to figure out how to work it, right? So I got a text in the middle of that, and it's basically saying, hey, this is Andrew Giuliani from the White House. Give me a call when you get a chance. And I'm like, is this real? What is this, right? So it's Rudy Giuliani's son, right? So I ended up calling him back, and he just said, hey, you know, we're aware of your situation here at the White House. We're concerned about you. President Trump asked me to call you to see how you're doing. And, you know, we talked about just the symptoms, everything I went to for about 10 minutes. Then he said, hey, early next week, we're going to do this coronavirus media session. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Uh, would you be interested or willing to do that? And I said, sure, man. I mean, I, I've already shared my story this far with the intent of, you know, getting some people to open their minds to treat it a little seriously to so they realize whether you're healthy or not, you're young, you're old, you're athletic, you're not athletic, it can affect anybody. Did you get on a commercial plane or did they come get you? I'm sorry, Kevin? Did you get on a commercial plane to go out there or did they come and get you? I did, man. I, I, I They should have. They, they should have sent the plane. Yeah, send it. Send it. I kept on telling I just just two words, send it. A risky behavior. Yeah, man. So there, was, uh, there was three people on my plane. So, all right. So take us through what happened. Get to the White House. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we get there. The schedule at this point. So remember, we're going from Friday night to Tuesday morning. So the session was Tuesday morning. So over the course of, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, that schedule probably changed six times. You know, just changing dates, changing dates, and a little bit loose with the information of what they really want from us, right? I knew there'd be a board of roughly six to 10 people. That's all I really knew. Um, so, but I said, all right, well, whatever direction this goes, I'm going to prepare as if, you know, I'm going to have an opp opportunity to talk about small business and my situation and, you know, nonprofit organizations. I just want to be prepared. And um, if anything, I'm glad I did that because it started to organize some thoughts in my head. Um, but anyways, while we were out there, so we, I mean, think about it. I check into the hotel. The hotel's dead. The restaurants are closed. The gym is closed. I mean, I was kind of, for whatever reason, forgot. I kind of forgot that by the time you get there, you know, you're kind of thinking like, okay, it's going to be nice and hooked up by the White House. And it was bare minimum, man. You know, were people uh, wearing masks? Yeah. Yeah. There was people wearing masks. Um, not in the White House, though, right? So just kind of walking around. So the hotel was four blocks away. And I'll kind of try to shorten the, 
this version down. If I go through the whole thing with all the details like I do for with some of my buddies, it's literally an hour story, right? And that's <laughs> for the, all the good. Hit the highlights. Hit the you highlights. stole something from yeah. Oregon, didn't you? You stole something. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, I was stuffing my pockets everywhere. <laughs> uh, my kids are like, Dad, this is a presidential napkin. I'm going to just, just take it and be happy. <laughs> yeah, So, but, but we go in. So you go through three different security checks, one being x-ray. And then right when you come in, they take you to the medical tent, right? Or the, I'm sorry, the medical office. And there they did like a little bit of a screening. They did, um, I took that 15 minute Abbott test of the swab of the nose and they take your temperature. Now throughout the day, before you meet anybody, they take your temperature again. So I probably had five or six times where they kept on taking your temperature. So that's kind of like, after you take the test, you know you're negative, they still kind of check on you, see if your temperature's rising, right? All right, so the, the kind of major points of it were, you know, certainly we got together. There's a total of eight people. Um, they kept on kind of pulling different people apart to do media interviews. So I probably did know, 12 different interviews. Um, who were you interacting with? Who, who was your handler there? You hadn't met the president. Yeah. So mine specifically was Andrew Giuliani. Okay. Right. And then and you knew him. The, how did you know him before? I didn't. So oh, he okay. called. I played in New Orleans last and I'm buddies with, you know, people that were that are still there, Sean Payton and Breeze and all those guys. So he called, somehow he called Sean Payton and he got his number from you know him and gave, I'm sorry, gave him, gave Andrew my number. Got it. That's how he reached out. So um, but he was showing me around and they gave us like this little kind of mini tour. Of course, I'm like, no, 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 where's like the tunnel? And like get show me behind the scene, where's the secret doors? And just wouldn't share that kind of stuff. Yeah. I said, well, I'm gonna go on, I'm going on an open mic. I gotta have something. <laughs> right? So there was a, a lot of hurry up and wait, but we ended up sitting with the vice president probably for God, he probably talked to us around his table in his office. His office is enormous, by the way. I mean, he's got a table in there that probably holds 20, 25 people, something like that. And he's got a huge balcony. He's in the Eisenhower building. So in the Eisenhower building, you can have your phone. So I'm taking pictures. I'm like, can I take a selfie with Vice President Pence? I decided against it, but I should have went for it. Um, you know, all those kind of things. But he was great. Very, very mild-mannered you know, speaks, you really have to pay attention to him speaking, but he doesn't just talk the talk as you guys might assume, right? Super nice guy, but you know, you really have to pay attention to what he's saying. Usually when he does speak, it's something that holds some weight or profound. So I hung out with him for a little bit, did a bunch of pictures. Then I did a couple of interviews with just me and him, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, then they said, okay, we're going to take you down to the cabinet room. So we went down there. We waited about another half hour for President Trump to come. And then I don't know if you guys saw that media session or not, but um, maybe, we were, I don't know, it was roughly 30, 35, 40 minutes, something like that. Uh, it was great. And then after that, the cool part was, is he took us back to the Oval Office. Oh, nice. So he did all the whole picture thing. And he probably spent, look, it's a semi-circle, so I'm not going to say it's like one-on-one, -on -one, just the two of you hanging out with some secret service. But he probably talked to me alone, probably for about 10 minutes and asked me all sorts of sports questions and this or that. We talked a little bit about small business. And then he invited me back out to golf when everything kind of settles down. Come on. So we are best friends now. I, I see that. Do you have a cell? You got his text? You got his cell phone? Yeah. He, yeah. He, he's 
little bit, I've taken it as this is only the really inner circle, Mike, because he said, why don't you reach out to my secretary? <laughs> all his best friends. That's you how. Got, you got some cool photos, though. I saw on your uh, social media some pretty cool photos of you in the yeah. uh, office. Yeah. So, uh, look, I, once in a lifetime, right? Did you shake his hand? Nope. Did he, Nobody had masks on in his office. No, nobody had masks in there. Um, you know, they were within six feet from him, I assume. Not supposed to be. Did I violate? Possibly. <laughs> you leaned in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm like, I'm gonna get a photo with him. I'm not gonna be six feet away. So <laughs> made some last minute adjustments. That's so. When you were in the Oval Office with him, it was you and him. Of course, Secret Service and everything. But were there other people, other victims who had COVID nineteen, or was it mm -hmm. really just you and him? No, there was, there was, it was kind of a semi-circle, right? So everyone kind of stayed back to give that person or couple, because there was a lot of couples there amongst those eight people, to try to give them some personal time, so to speak. So it was like, you know, that circle was probably 15 to 20 feet away. Um, so, I mean, it was kind of, look, you felt like, here's what I'll tell you, no matter what you think about, you know, President Trump, man, I'll tell you, behind closed doors, you get a little bit of a different guy, right? Very, very personable. Certainly likes to speak. There's no doubt about it. But he lets you answer his questions. And he's uh, he was funny. He was engaging. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, doing the interview circuit of kind of everything that came with it, he might have been, aside from you two, one of the easiest guys to get interviewed by. You know, it's just very, very comfortable. Were you able to ask or were you able to tell him your concerns about the testing? Did you tell him you have a testing lab and that, that nobody wants your tests? Yeah, I mean, like, that's essentially um, I mentioned that sort of thing. And he said, well, we'll jump on top of it. You know, some of that's got to go through the state and all that. He goes, you know, but basically keep me in the loop. And, you know, he asked me to kind of send this kind of letter in, so to speak, um, of which I actually did Friday. Uh, so we'll see what comes back from that. So, so Mark, after that experience, like, what is your sense as to why they wanted you there? And, 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 you know, the questions he, you said, he asked you a lot about sports and stuff, you know, was he grilling you to try to fix this horrible issue that we're all going through right now? Or did, did, you know, it sounds like Pence was talking to you more, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with why you were there. What was yeah. the purpose of the visit? Well, that's a great question in all honesty. Right. Because there was times where I'm like, what the hell am I doing here right now? You'd uh, think he'd have really important things to do right now. Sure. Not sure, talking sure. about sports. So I'm just curious. I really am. I'm really curious. Like what's your sense, what's your gut, why you were there? Yeah. So I think it was, I guess in retrospect now, and, and I pay attention to some of the emails and the conversations that were had, it was really vice president Pence's platform or program to have this coronavirus meeting. And it, the purpose of it was to share some stories of knowledge and experience and most importantly, to show, look, a lot of people are, are totally fine from this. And with all the negative news out there, I mean, it's everywhere we look right now, right? It's pow, boom, bang. And it's always like, it's so bad. And don't get me wrong, it is. But also there are stories of hope and people that have gone through it and listened to it and learned from it. Avoid those things so you don't have to go through it. I think that was the purpose of it, right? That's why it was kind of a small group. And, to, and I certainly think on the president's agenda, he wanted to be a part of it just because he probably, and I don't want to speak for him, but my guess is to, to talk about, you know, the hydroxychloroquine, right? Because that's a hot topic for him. And um, my guess is that was part of it. Also, the other really interesting part, Mike, 
that make you think about a little bit is one of the other eight people was Representative Karen Whitsett, who is here in Detroit, um, a Democrat. So she had to deal with it, right? And she was super thankful to him because she also had the hydroxychloroquine. And she actually mentioned that I would have died if I did not get this. So what an opportunity for him to kind of, you know, one, work with the other side, two, kind of throw it in their face of, look, one of yours needed it the worst and it's here to help. So that's interesting because I, I, I missed that part when you were sharing the original story. So, so your sense in hindsight is he, he's still, for some reason, pushing that drug pretty darn hard. Um, whether or not he, you know, as some have alleged that he owns part of that company or, you know, or, or what? So, so that, you think that was the centerpiece uh, reason why you were, had you not taken that drug, had you not recovered in full, had you not felt better after four or six hours, like you shared a few minutes ago, you, you don't think you would have been invited? No, I think I, I know I would have been invited, actually, Mike, um, because there was eight people there and only three of them took it. Okay, so, and they were all people from Michigan, by the way, out of those, oh. right? So I know I would have been invited. I just think, look, when the this is an opportunity to show some good of recovery, probably pretty good for, you know, President Trump to have some nice PR with him as well, right? It's not always going to be negative to be able to provide hope, survivors, so to speak, which I hate using that word, but... I think that was it. Like some shed, shed some good light amongst all of this because otherwise it's just all pretty negative, right? I mean, no matter what you think about President Trump, he's catching a lot of heat. Now you can say, look, some of that's deserved. Some of it's based on his Twitter account or his late reactions or Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks. But the truth is that's a lot of heat. So probably for him to have a moment of something good, he probably was like, hell yeah, I'll stop by the meeting. Now he ended up dominating the meeting which was interesting, but it was all good. Mark, where was this in the timeline of where uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer was uh, talking about not allowing it and in, in, in actually issuing an order that this drug would not be allowed to be used in Michigan? Was this after that controversy was over? Was it in the middle of it? So it was right kind of in the middle of all that stuff. In fact, I want to say I got, I received the drug on March 28th and I want to say whether it be March 30th, April 1st, April 2nd, something like that is when they kind of stopped it or she kind of stopped it. So it was in the middle of it. And like I would challenge anybody, like I kind of told you guys earlier, not kind of, I told you guys earlier, like if you were in that situation, I would say the same thing to Governor Whitmer. Like if you were in that situation, would you take it? If you knew it was 50-50, you know, with not any serious risk involved, would you take the drug? Of course you would, right? It's kind Absolutely. of a no-brainer to me. Absolutely. I, I don't understand. Listen, I, I'm not going to sound important whether I agree with our president and a lot of things or not. Um, but that drug, um, you know, I, I don't understand that. I mean, I understand the controversy, but you know, you have his, his trusted people that he puts on the podiums with him every day saying the opposite of what he's saying. It's just confusing messaging for them, yeah. for the public. It's confusing for me. Um, I have friends who I've talked to about it. I have um, pharmacists who are talking to me about it. Now I'm hearing your story. Your story is very promising. Um, and you didn't have, a, like you said, you didn't have a choice. The doctors just said, said to you, we're giving you this drug. And you're like, fine, give it to me. Yeah. Um, well, they asked me, Mike, I should clarify. They asked if I was willing to do it. And I was like, yes. You know, there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. 
but yeah, I, I, probably, I, I would do the same thing tomorrow. Absolutely, would do the same thing. Um, I, I don't understand the FDA process. I don't understand why things belong. They got to do human testing. Um, but you'd think that the, you'd think that it, it's just very. It's odd. Wouldn't you think it was odd though that the president is pushing a drug if he didn't have? I mean, why is he one drug so hard and risking so much on one drug when? His, his, his own medical advisors are saying, we disagree with you and we don't recommend it. So it's, it's I don't understand that politically. I don't understand it in any business. Uh, sure. Doesn't make a whole bunch of sense to me. But I mean, the drug, right? A hydroxychloroquine has literally been around for what, 40 years? Long time. I mean, it's being used for a whole bunch of different things. Um, I don't know what the agenda he would have. I mean, you could say, hey, he's the owner of Plaquenil. I mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, selfishly, I'll tell you, I don't care. You know, like I, it worked for me, right? And that's what I want people to know. But I, I don't know, Mike. I, I honestly, I wouldn't kind of. I don't want to just kind of say something here, kind of flip it. I, I really don't know that answer. I don't know if anybody knows that answer, but certainly I'll tell you this. You know, if you think about you know some of the bigger and well-known politicians in our life, whether they're president or governor or even a well-known state representative, they make a lot of money when they are actually out of office, right? Because of things they did and relationships and that sort of thing, and all of a sudden they're liaisons or you know, playing these kind of different roles with big insurance companies or, you know, big entities, that's where it's kind of at for them. So you never know how much that whole thing plays a part, a part in it. What are your thoughts on, on insurance and health insurance and other insurance these days? You think, uh, what, what do you think, what's your take on what's going on and why certain things are happening right now? Boy, is that, it's almost a loaded question. Uh, kind of how I want to answer that, what I feel is true, but also trying to be fair to, in, a, in a general answer, right? Um, certainly insurance companies, and they'll probably get bailed out here pretty soon is my guess because they're reporting that, you know, they're they're doing a lot of things for free. Um, you know, it doesn't say that maybe they're waiving co-pays, but is, are they waiving, you know, the deductible? Are they waiving all that? That's, that's all kind of debatable based on the insurance company. But, you know, insurance companies are very, very hard to deal with. So I have two small businesses, right? I have ILDP, you know, which is a molecular testing lab. And I have MedConnect, which is a marketing sales team focused on bracing and, you know, back, ankle, orthotic bracing, right? So we've been in uh, Royal Oak, Michigan for nearly a decade. From day one, I've worked with insurances on trying to get credentialed. It is a constant struggle for the last past, for the last decade. Like it's so hard. And, you know, look, we can do this and that. And they just don't care. You know, you start to feel like it's monopolized, right? That it's to all the bigger companies have kind of worked out arrangements and they can do this or that. Maybe they can lower some of their fees for code because they have, you know, an agreement based on volume and all that kind of stuff. Hell, I, I would welcome that conversation, right? So it's been a struggle. Um, you know, for a long time here, especially right now, right? So not only can we help small business economy right here in our backyard, not only can we be more responsive to what the patient needs are, uh, we're right here and willing to help um, with COVID testing specifically right now. It's been hard, man. It's been a struggle. And you kind of feel like, look, we, if small business, if America is built on small business, 
why in the hell are we not even helping locally in our own state where people are dying or not even able to get the test like if you were in Detroit right now? You know, so it's it feels like a shame, but all I keep doing, man, is just push, push, push as best I can and trying to educate people as best I can, and hopefully some things change. Well, it, you know, you, you know how I feel about insurance companies. You love them. It, You're big I fan. love them. I love them. But the truth is I hate them. Um, <laughs> you know, the you know, in my world, the auto insurance, you know, 80 in Michigan, we have 80% less mileage being driven. Mo, 80, and also 80% of the accidents happen while in traffic. When was the last time you two saw traffic in our neighborhoods? I haven't seen any traffic in a month. And my call volume is showing that there's not very many accidents on the road, yet they're only rolling back 10 to 15 to 20% of our rates. That doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. And um, then you have the business interruption insurance. We all businesses, Mark, I'm sure you have uh, policies of business interruption that if, if something happened, if a fire happened, if a, if a catastrophe happens, you're going to be paid like uh, business as usual. And mm -hmm. that's why we pay tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, in premiums. Mm -hmm. Well, they're not covering this because it's a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I've already seen lawsuits. We're looking at some lawsuits to possibly file. I think they're going to be tough lawsuits. I don't think they're going to be easy, but the insurance companies love to take premiums and not pay out. Mm -hmm. And the auto insurance companies are going to make billions because there's no car accidents. Even if it's a month, they're going to make hundreds of millions, two months, three months. The companies who take your business interruption insurance, they're just going to deny every claim. And medically, you know, with, with paying for your stuff, you know, I hope they pay you what you deserve. I hope that they, uh, start reimbursing. They open up the tests. They open up the floodgates to get everybody tested. But they're going to make off uh, very well. And yeah. um, that's that's what's happening. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah. I, look, I mean, uh, that's a great um, summary of kind of what's going to happen here. And, and it's it's hard to watch because it's we're, we're watching in slow motion, right? It's like it's like, uh, you know, being punched in the nuts by Mike Tyson in slow motion, right? It's hard to watch, but you know it's coming. Um, yeah, sorry for the bad example. But it, <laughs> it, it, it's, I, just wish I think we could all relate. I think we could all relate. Yeah, I mean, I just wish there was a way of, look, everybody knows, no matter what side you're on, no matter what company you're with, everybody knows this is wrong, right? Everybody where does the sense of realism come back into this, right? And how are we supposed to have any normalcy if everyone's looking at this as, you know, out of crisis comes opportunity. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But not when you're screwing people over and you, you, when you know you're wrong. I mean, let me ask you a question, Mike, is, you know, regarding your point of um, this being a pandemic and it not being covered in people's insurance, is it as simple as saying, look, the hard part about, getting this covered or getting insurance co uh, uh, companies to pay is simply because it's not specific in that agreement to say pandemic? Well, the, I'm reviewing agreements as we speak, and a lot of them do talk about these types of things happening, um, using the word pandemic, using the word, you know, you know, with medical conditions um, that are outside of the control, acts of God, things like that. Wow. And we're looking for the loopholes they are, you know, the insurance companies are smart and they don't want to pay claims. They want to take right. their premiums and they don't want to pay claims. So they have written these policies in such a way that they don't have to pay when something like this 
happens. There's a lot of smart lawyers looking into this right now. We're going to try to get the courts to interpret this um, more narrowly and, and say that this should be a covered loss. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about sharing the pain, right? I've talked to right. business owners who are losing profits, but they don't want to lay off people, but yet they want some of their employees to share the pain. Insurance companies have billions of dollars to pay out claims. They should not just reap the rewards without, without, in my opinion, without stepping up in our communities and helping the small businesses and helping test and helping do the right thing Great. rather than just making profits. So I'm not sure what the courts are going to do. It's def They're not just going to pay claims. I've not heard of one person just paying claims. What I'm sorry. I've not heard of one insurance company just paying claims mm -hmm. for restaurant owners, small business owners, even though they have business interruption insurance. So, yeah. You know, I've heard of some class actions that are seeking certification right now. There's, it's too early. The courts are basically shut down. Yeah, I mean, so nothing's is, happening right now either, right? So what are what are nothing's the, happening? Remind me, Mike. What are the three Ds? Deny, deny, <laughs> delay, defend. There you deny, go. Deny, delay, defend. That's there right you. out of all states. Book State Farms book. Um, that's what they're doing. I talked to one of my trial lawyers today on the phone who State Farm is saying, well, well, we'll go to trial. Now, usually they don't say that because the trial's coming up and they settle. Well, now right. they got six months. And the longer the insurance companies hold on to that money, the more they make because of interest. They're compounding interest every single day. They have no incentive to settle right now because no judge or jury is standing by waiting no to whack them. That's, no that's the hammer we have. Mm -hmm. Fine, don't pay. We'll go to trial and we win more often than we lose, way mm -hmm. more often. Mm -hmm. But now, when the courts are shut down, Wayne County is telling us we're not going to see juries till maybe August. Wow. So that slows down everything. Right. And so the insurance companies are winning. They're making billions. They're paying back millions, but who cares? They're, they should what? be paying back 80%, not 20%. And I put out a Facebook post last week, Mark, and, and I'll, you know, hope, hopefully this will help you and your family. If, if you, if you and your wife, and if you have kids at the house, have, have cars, but you're all, you're not going out. And if you do go out, you're taking one car. Think mm -hmm. about garaging the other cars and say, and not paying 90 plus percent of your premiums, or even if it's an older car and it's in the garage, take it off the policy altogether. Now, yeah, yeah. it's uninsured. You can't drive it. If the garage burns down, you lose the car right. or you keep it in the garage state. So I'm getting emails from people after I get out that advice, thanking me because everybody's saving hundreds of dollars, if not more, by just calling their agent and tweaking it's the simple. policies a little bit. I got my bill for my uh, auto insurance company just yesterday and they made it real big and clear. We want you to know that we're saving you money by reducing your rate during this time of crisis. And I looked at, I have, I have five cars. I got three kids and my wife and I, we have five cars. And I did the math on the reduction. It was about 12%. I said, I don't have any cars in any danger anywhere. I, I, I've driven 
15 miles in seven weeks. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and if I, if you wanted to go try and fight that and, and say, no, I, I should get a bigger reduction, they're going to hold on to all that money for the entire uh, time and effort uh, to, to try and get what would be a real list. I mean, they should be trying to help families right now. People need money and they're collecting for something or service they're not getting. I noticed my gym stopped charging me and I'm glad they did. I didn't I'm not someone who calls and demands stuff, but they stopped, which is good. And if they hadn't, I'd probably quit because you're, be you're a lifetime guy, right? You look like <laughs> can't you tell? Yeah. <laughs> Kevin went to the doctor for the first time, Mark, in uh, 50 years. Did you know that? <laughs> see that episode? Check out, check out Doctor. pandemic happened. Right? <laughs> first, first time since birth that you're <laughs> being a medical professional. I came out pretty good, considering. Yeah, I would say I'm great, man. Yeah, I'd say you've done great. I'm checking my Facebook posts here. Lots of people are, are watching, Mark. And uh, one of your high school buddies, Mike Ruzicki, says hello. He wanted me to give sure. him a shout-out. Yeah, there's Mike. I, hey, tell Mike. I'm Mike, I'm just happy you're not in jail right now. Congratulations. <laughs> Didn't he get uh, voted most likely to uh, end up? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, best Mike, hair. Mike, Mike's a good buddy. He's Isn't doing it? well. He's in Royal Oak, probably near your uh, – yeah, job. he's not far. Mike's a good guy. All right. Anything else we need to talk about, Kevin? Uh, you are, you do have a call with uh, Governor Whitmer right now, right? Like today or uh, are you guys? Uh... Yeah. So, well, with, with her staff today, right? So we are, so to her credit, right? She reached out. Obviously here in Michigan, we have issues with testing. She reached out and we're talking about some lab testing right now. So we can do all the testing that's needed, right? We already are doing it, to be honest with you, right? So, um, I mean, we're doing, you know, roughly, I want to say just yesterday, we took in about 3,000 samples in one day. You know? um, but we can take on more, right? So we've we've done a couple things. We've added a couple of machines and, you know, certainly are, want to play our part of helping out here. Does the nasal swab that goes up into your brain cavity, um, yep. Does that one talk about antibodies or no? No, nope. So it, you look, it is it 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 will. It just is like a swab of kind of your inside nose, and then you to your point earlier, right? You have your blood draw to see what your antibodies are. Um, it's a finger prick. So when you say blood draw, it can sound much bigger than it is. It's literally like a finger prick. Okay. Easy breathing. And, that, and that's the one that tells you antibodies. And what's your research? What's your opinion? And try to explain it to me better than I, my understanding yeah. of if you have, if you've had it, like I talked um, to a buddy on the phone today, he had it, no symptoms, but he had it. He's feeling fine. Um, what's your opinion? Can he get it again? All right. So great question, right? And I've had some people ask me this and I even asked this question when I was at the White House. So you guys know, right? And, um, you know, got a pretty good answer out of Dr. Fauci. So Remember I told you guys earlier today, like this thing is kind of quote unquote jumping wells or morphing a little bit. So like I had one of the you know bad strands with like I had every symptom. There are some people to your point that like it doesn't affect them. Then you're also talking about, okay, what does your blood type have to do with that? How what part does that play in your general health? Um, you know, all those kind of things kind of play a part of it. And what strand, of course, you had. So when you have a buddy that says, hey, I, I had it and it wasn't bad, he probably, you know, one has great resistant markers within his body. So he handled any virus. He handles better than the average guy. But also he probably had one of the weaker strands. Right. So that's why you kind of see this influx or this wide spectrum 
of different results from a lot of different people. Um, so that that's kind of what, how I would answer a lot of this stuff when it comes down to, can I get it again? No, I can't get the worst part of it again, right? Like I have immunity to that. But because this thing has morphed and there's little changes, it doesn't mean I couldn't get some of those other symptoms. Fortunately for me, I'm not, I've already got through the, you know, the crappy part or the worst part of it, I hope, right? We don't know what's got, what this thing turns into. But my guess is it's going to kind of quiet down for a bit sometime through the summer. But unfortunately, I think it's going to be back in the fall. What about the people who they say are carriers mm -hmm. with no symptoms? How, yeah. What's the test for that? So you can take one of those antibodies bodies test, um, but it's asymptomatic, right? So it will show whether you had it or not. Those, you know, those are, it's interesting. It's almost like the faceless monster, right? Mike, when you kind of bring that up and Kevin, you know, we kind of talked about it even before jumping on this, you, you really don't know what you're fighting against. You're saying, okay, there's, you don't know, there could be thousands of asymptomatic people walking around. Well, the truth is nobody knows, right? We don't know if there's just a handful or there's, hundreds of millions or whatever. We don't know because uh, nobody's out testing those people, right? So until we get like people kind of back to work, we're not gonna have that kind of answer or that kind of data available until everyone's getting tested, right? How realistic is that? And what's gonna be set in at a, a state level of who needs to get tested, who doesn't coming back to work? That's the only time we're gonna know that answer. That, that part scares me the most. Yeah, that and COVID-20 which is the zombies <laughs> yeah was it didn't who's the politician who said something like you know it's COVID 19 not COVID one and it has nothing to do with that oh it was uh one of trump's uh who's the, oh, blonde, uh, who's the blonde woman who's always on uh fox um I'm laura ingram? Name. who laura ingram no, no, no. He works. She works with Trump. She's a lawyer. Oh. Her husband's opposite of of her and him. Um, uh, Kelly, um, or, uh, Kelly, Kelly, Kelly Conway. Conway. Yeah. She right. came out and, and on Fox said something like, "You know, this isn't the first time we're dealing with this. This is COVID nineteen. Well, the nineteen is the year the strain happened, uh, not that this has happened nineteen times." I thought that's that was actually. Awesome. I thought. <laughs> I thought that was uh, hilarious. We'll be, so, uh, we'll be that on Saturday Night Live soon. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, that so, was, the, yeah. so Kevin touched on the Whitmer comment. Do you, I mean, how do you think that you're living in Michigan, you're watching her on the news, you see her orders, um, you, you've lived through this virus, virus in a horrible way. Do you think she's gone too far with uh, her stay-home order? I, I you know, it's... I see it. I definitely see it from both sides. If I was a guy that had it, never would have thought in a million years I would have gotten it. Um, I think it's probably a little intense. You know, I think that sometimes the, the descriptions, right, are the part that's kind of getting her in trouble at this point, in my opinion, right? Of saying you can't get, you know, seed from Home Depot, uh, you can't go fishing, um, you can't go over to your, you know, family's house or whatever. I think it's asking for trouble. Now, do I think it's wrong? Some of it I think maybe a little bit silly, like why are you getting so descriptive, right? Let people kind of figure this out for themselves. Uh, but do I think I should go over to my parents' house who are 86 and 84? Absolutely not. You know, so some of it kind of makes sense. I just think it's a little intense. And I think the descriptive parts of it kind of get her in hot water because then people feel like they're being violated with their rights. Um, I also think 
that there's probably a reasoning, right, of why she's being so descriptive, why she's being so, in my opinion, kind of intense with the rules and regulations. Um, and I, I think a lot of it's driven to show her as a strong, powerful governor, right, which will be attractive to somebody like uh, presidential hopeful Joe Biden. Right. That'll be that'll that'll be interesting. You know, as a lawyer uh, reading her executive orders, you know, I'm trained to look for loopholes. I'm qu trained yeah. to ask questions. I'm trained to read between the lines and the words and you know the syllables even. And so I think she's trying to be that specific about, you know, to, and, and I do think she's pushing it very far. Like you can't yeah. go to your second home. Well, you own that home. Why can't you go to that second home? Is she trying to protect mm -hmm. the Northern Michigan people from people going up to their cottages? Like it did that, you know, in, in, in the, in the golfing, I have friends who are out in Arizona right now in Florida who are golfing. They're doing it very safe. So I think people, she had to come out because those are the things that people are curious about right now. And I think it is getting in hot water because you're having governors in other states say, we're going to start relaxing this. But you have lots of people saying, right. you could relax it all you want, but I'm not coming to that restaurant. Right. So I don't, dis I, I don't disagree with you said, Mark, you know, maybe she's going a little too far. Maybe you, you have to rely on people being smart. Uh, but then you got these dummies who are all getting together and going to do protests or going to the beach or going to a church that just yeah, isn't that smart. Right. It's just not smart. So just, maybe she's trying to protect us from ourselves because we're not listening. Or if people aren't, I'm listening, but people aren't listening. I, I don't know. Well, go ahead, Kevin. I'm just going to say that one of the problems people are having is that uh, they're keeping open things that are making the state money. So, you know, if you can go get lottery tickets, uh, but you can't go get mulch, you're, you're, you're having the same uh, opportunity to get infected, to get a lottery ticket as something that you're not allowed to get. So I think she maybe just maybe even needed to be tougher if that's what she wanted to do and just say, look, we're not going to let anybody uh, have any opportunity to catch this thing. But I think it's the fact that there's some things you can do and some things you can't do, and they don't make sense in people's mind why one is more dangerous than the other. Well said, I think. You know, it, it gets into like kind of the sticky place, right? Uh, when you start getting into Democratic, Republican, and uh, really positioning, really it's just, you know, negotiating positioning for them and perception, right? You start getting into that murky water and you start to lose just what's right or wrong here, right? And that's where I've always stood with this of like, look, I don't care what party you are. I didn't really want, I told you guys, I didn't really want to share my story, uh, you know, being, you know, c contracting the coronavirus. I just felt like it was the right thing to do. You know, and I don't care where you are, like, you know, trying to help funding or nonprofits right now. Those are not decisions based on what you believe in. They're based on decisions of helping people, right? And as Michiganders, I wish there was a little more thought of, like, look, we're kind of all in this together, but we need to know we're protected by you as well. So, but it just gets kind of locked sometimes, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And, you know, the whole political thing, I since this discussion, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, there's vi there's dozens of Republican governors who have these stay-at-home orders. Mm -hmm. Orders. This is not. I know there's a few rogue ones who don't, but this is not a Democrat Republican thing. And I'm trying to think. You know, why would a Republican or a Democrat? You know, okay, Republicans are. You know, they, people would argue more business friendly. I don't argue that. I don't think that's true. But 
that that maybe they want the businesses to flourish and if some people some people are going to die but you know the economy is more important but i don't think that's true either i i i i, I don't see the political line here i so i yeah. i don't know if i personally don't yeah i know that there's some some republican governors out there who are who are not shutting down their states and i guess we'll see how that plays out for them um and and hopefully you know the, the restrictions will ease and hopefully this will go away and hopefully it won't come back like mark you kind of suggested a few minutes ago all yeah. eyes on georgia <laughs> what did you say kevin all eyes, all eyes on georgia right now they just opened up their gyms are yeah. open their stores are open their bars are open they opened up so yeah. was today was that uh, today yeah. mm -hmm. i haven't seen that yeah, story I, I, I don't think we're ready for quite that, you know, especially with how bad Detroit is right now. But, you know, maybe somewhere up north, that's where, that's where you start, right? Um, I don't know. There's no crystal ball with some of this stuff. But unfortunately, every day that we don't, there's a waterfall of effects that I'm not sure we're prepared for. I'd like to think we are, but I'm just not positive, right? Obviously, the economy is getting their butt kicked every single day. Small businesses are getting their butt kicked every single day for the most part. You know, but little things, right? Of okay, let's like uh, you got really severe allergies or Lyme disease. Well, what if someone's not treating your grass? You know, how big of a problem is that going to turn into? Are there going to be ticks? Is it going to turn into you know little things like that that we don't really think a lot about? But that's coming if we don't address them or have a thought of how to address them quickly. Well, what about Mark when you need a haircut? I mean, you got to keep that hair looking oh, good. You know, that's going to be. I had a fan here just to kind of blow it while we were doing this, right? Oh, yeah. I like to end these interviews on a funny note, so I, I, I brought a little humor in, Mark. You, you are, you are a great guy, and thank you for sharing your story. I'm glad you're healthy. I'm glad you're doing better. Scary. Um, good luck in your businesses. I hope they, you know, and thank you for doing all the testing you're doing, and I hope these insurance companies pay you and pay you well and uh, as new testing comes out and new things come up maybe we should talk again in the future reach out anytime man thank you for having me guys it was a pleasure be safe be smart be fighting thanks mark well that was interesting kevin that's really good stuff. Really good interview. Uh, I mean, he was a, a big time. He's a big, strong guy, and he was he was close. I mean, he thought he was going to die. He was worried about telling his family he was going to die. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. Interesting. What position did he play in college? Tight end. Tight end. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Kevin. So we're going to conclude this interview. Flip right I back. Assume, Ryan, before we go on to our next interview, is that going to? Because since we're kind of we went over a little bit. Do we roll right into that, or do we end this session, Ryan, who is the crack podcast? Uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna end this one and uh, roll over to the next one. All right, guys, we'll talk in a minute. Thank right. you.